Amen. Well, this coming week on Thursday, uh, Grace and I are going out to Adelaide, Australia. We're going to be out there for um, it's a far too quick trip to go all that way, but it ties in with Grace being on half term, which is the only time she can go. So the next two Sundays, God willing, I'll be preaching at Coastlands Church, led by Ben and Trina Whitaker, who have been here with us, and many of you will remember. Uh, Ben's the guy with the big, strong beard, and uh, he did a prophetic night with us last year, which was amazing. So I'm going to be speaking in his church the next two Sundays. And then in the week in between, we've got a gathering of people from around the Asia-Pacific region, um, from Australia, Thailand, India, other places coming in, so we'll be spending a week with them, teaching uh, with them, so looking forward to that. does mean that October I am pretty much out, because the last 10 days I've been in Cyprus. We had five days, first of all, gathering with the six of us who give a lead to the Advance family of churches around the world. Advance is the, uh, the sphere, the family of churches that we're part of. And we had an excellent five days together, and then we went from that into a gathering of New Frontiers leaders, Advance as part of a bigger family of churches called Advance, and at that gathering there were 230 leaders from 18 different spheres which make up New Frontiers, representing 90 nations and thousands of churches around the world. Uh, so it was nine days of continual meetings. I know you'll have no sympathy for me because the weather was 30 degrees, the food was great, and the sea was warm. But it was pretty intense, um, nine days without any kind of break. But it was also amazing uh, in that larger gathering, seeing the variety of contexts where God is working, with which we have some meaningful contact, real diversity in people's experiences, people from rich context, people from poor context, people from the global west, from the global south, from the global east, people who, like us, experience amazing religious freedom and toleration, and people from nations where that is certainly not the case, and experiencing genuine persecution and hardship. And it was amazing to be in that kind of environment and to uh, be with brothers and sisters from around the world in, in that setting. And uh, I wanted to speak this morning, we're out of our series in John for this week, and I wanted to bring some reflections really out of that time of being together with those other brothers and sisters around the world for the, for, for the last 10 days. And I want to talk about treasuring the presence of God, treasuring the presence of God. The, the gospel must go to the ends of the earth and to the depths of our hearts. And uh, for me, having the privilege of being with all these people from around the world for the last few days and going to Australia and being with others from around the world in the coming week, uh, get to see that very closely, very personally, how the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. But we as a church, we need to understand and see that as well, all of us, even if you never get to go anywhere else in the world, we need to understand we're connected to, we're part of global mission. The gospel must go to the ends of the earth, and the gospel must go to the depths of our hearts, it must go into our souls, it must affect us personally must shape us personally, and we need to understand that God is with us. God is with us. The presence of God was with us as we gathered in Cyprus. We could feel that very evidently, and God, the presence of God is with all those people in all their very contact as they have gone home this weekend, whether it's to a rich and free place or whether it's a poor and persecuted place. God is with them, and God is with us. And so I want to read a couple of scriptures from the Gospel of Matthew. We're out of John this week, but we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. First, Matthew chapter 1, and I'm just going to read from verse 20. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son 
and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They call him Emmanuel, God with us. And then turn to the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and I've got to read from verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The the Gospel of Matthew begins and ends with a promise that God is with us. And there are a number of Bible books like this where the beginning and the end of the book is the same. Uh, Romans is a classic one where Paul begins, this is what this is about. It's about the gospel going to the ends of the earth so that all peoples might come to the obedience of faith. That's how he ends the letter as well. So the book of Romans is a book about mission. That's how it begins and how it ends. The gospel of Matthew is a book about the presence of God being with us. It begins with Emmanuel, God with us, and it ends with Jesus saying, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. God is with us. And we need to learn to treasure this reality that God is with us. And if you're a Christian, you know that. If you've been coming to church, you know that God is with us. It's something we say, but it's something which we can become, to be honest, indifferent about, something we can become over-familiar with, something actually in a way we can become almost arrogant about. Uh, God's with us. We need to instead learn to treasure this amazing reality that God is with us. This is the theme of the Gospel of Matthew, in many ways it's also the theme of the whole Bible. Think about how the Bible begins and ends and the story it tells. This is my my summary of what the Bible tells us. It begins in Eden, then there's exile from Eden, then entry into the new Eden of the promised land, only to be exiled from there too. But then Jesus breaks into this narrative like a warm spring after a harsh winter. The Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people, and it all culminates with the Eden that is resurrection life in the world made new, guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is all about. It's where the Bible begins and ends, begins with God, the presence of God hovering over the chaos of the as yet unformed earth, and it ends with the cry of God's people, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It's all about God's presence being with us. And Jesus is the one who, around whom the story centers and the one whom all the threads of the story are pulled together. And what Jesus says to us is that he is with us. Jesus, Jesus says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, a story we have looked at in our John series, the day is coming when God's people worship in spirit and in truth. It's no longer about the place in which we worship, but it's about the presence of God being with us. We carry the presence of God with us. 
and so we can worship in spirit and truth wherever we are. Now, I want to think about this in a few different ways. First of all, to think about how we are to treasure the presence of God in liberty. We're to treasure the presence of God in liberty. Over the summer, I read a book by a journalist called Matthew Engel called The Way It Was, which is a history of Britain over Queen Elizabeth's reign, 1952. Uh, He's just written one volume, goes from 1952 up to 1979. And it's a really interesting book. And one of the fascinating things which he draws out in that story of our national history over the last 70 years is the extraordinary move from formality to informality in terms of how we conduct ourselves. And that's affected everything. It's affected our manners. It's affected the clothes we wear. It affects how we view authority. It affects how we think about people who are older. Uh, those of you in your 20s, you don't teach me, treat me with as much deference as I would have treated those in their 50s when I was in their 20s. It's just how it is. Some things about that are good. Maybe some things not so good. Uh, affects our, the, 50 years ago, uh, you would have called me Mr. Hosier, and I'd have been wearing a jacket and tie. That's not how it is now. There's been this extraordinary shift to informality, and that also impacts our approach to how we worship. And the church has mirrored society in its move to the informal. Nobody calls me Mr. Hosier, and I'm wearing jeans. That would, that would have been unthinkable 50 years ago. But the thing is, we can confuse informality with, with liberty. And we need to understand that true spiritual liberty, true spiritual freedom and informality are not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Spiritual liberty, true spiritual liberty, is a lived experience of knowing freedom in the wonderful presence of God. Spiritual liberty is knowing that you have been set free. Knowing that once you were held captive, but because of the grace of God at work in your life, you are now declared to be free. When Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, when they'd crossed the sea, Exodus 15, Moses burst into a song of praise, a declaration of freedom. That's what happens. When you, when you understand that you've been rescued from slavery to sin and death, you come into an experience of liberty, of freedom, which causes you to sing. Christian liberty is an experience of freedom from slavery. And our worship has to reflect that. has to reflect that in the content of the songs that we sing. Real liberty, Christian liberty, focuses on what we have been set free from, sin and death, and on what we have been set free for, to know God and to make him known. And that means that the content of our worship is important, our worship. The songs we sing can't be content-less. This, this means that there are, there are songs, there are good songs, catchy songs, songs that everybody would like because of the rhythm and the melody and the beat and the rest, which we don't sing because as elders we'll look at the content and say, well, there isn't content here. The tune's good, but the content is hollow. There's got to be content to our worship, which expresses our freedom. And what liberty and worship does, it means that we focus on truth. 
the truth of what Jesus has done for us, we focus on truth in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is seeking worshippers who are worshipping in spirit and truth. We gather together, the Spirit of God is present amongst us. God's Spirit has been poured out on his people. He's here with us, amongst us, filling us, and we focus together on the truth of what God has done for us as the presence, empowering presence of the Spirit helps us. Now, informality can help us in that. It's often easier to enter into engaged worship where things are more informal, where you're not feeling stiff and uncomfortable clothes and where you have a freedom to express yourself in moving around, even dancing. Imagine. Uh, Informality can help us to express our liberty of worship. But while informality can help us to express our liberty in God, it's not enough on its own. What we need is to hear and proclaim the message of freedom from slavery to sin and death. Jesus, you'll call this baby Jesus, the one who saves. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we need, as we gather, to, we need to proclaim and experience genuine liberty together, not just informality. We are informal as a church, but that isn't what we're about. What we're about is knowing the freedom, the liberty of God at work amongst us. And we must, pre- we must treasure the presence of God in our freedom. We've been set free to treasure God, to treasure his presence amongst us. God is here with us this morning. We're to treasure that, know the reality that we are free in his presence. That's why we still sing old songs like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Songs that describe our freedom, our liberty. We're a free people in the presence of God. Let's treasure that. Another way in which we need to treasure the presence of God is, is by faith. Treasure the presence of God by our liberty. We treasure the presence of God by faith. I don't know if you've noticed this as well, feel this, but the, the world seems to be increasingly tangled up in bureaucracy and red tape. It feels like we don't trust one another like we used to. And... Um, my personal theory as to why that is the case is I think it's because of the sexual revolution. I think it's because once you can no longer trust somebody sexually, then trust unravels completely across society. If you can't trust that somebody's going to be faithful to you, then you can't trust anything. You unpick faithful marriage and you unpick trust in society at large. Why do we have to have so much bureaucracy, regulation, red tape? It's because we don't trust one another. Everything has to be regulated, controlled, uh, contracted. And that has all kinds of consequences for us. It means that we don't just rely on somebody's word and a handshake. We have to have a contract. It means that we have to have risk assessments. It means that we have to have safeguarding because we can't trust one another. And those things are important. They're things which we... Many of those things are things which we place high emphasis upon here. We have a high emphasis upon safeguarding, and we are careful about risk assessing stuff and all that kind of thing. But nobody imagines, if you imagine what paradise is like, nobody imagines paradise as a place 
where you have to do risk assessments and safeguarding processes. That's not what, that's not what paradise would be like. Well, the reason we have those things is because we can't trust one another. You have to safeguard because you can't trust, you can't rely on somebody doing the thing they should do. And the thing about that is it affects us in all kinds of ways, and it can affect our relationship even with God, because we live in a culture where trust is rare. But when we come into relationship with God, what we do is we have to come in faith. We have to, becoming a Christian means learning to trust God, trusting God, believing in Him, having faith in Him. And our worship of God is an expression of that faith in Him. It's an expression of God, expression of our confidence in God's fatherly care for us. And we have, to, we have to treasure that. So when we gather to worship, our, our worship needs to both express our faith, our trust in God, by what we say, but it also needs to build our faith, build our trust in God, because that's not our natural tendency. So our hope would be that when we gather like we are this morning, that there would be expressions of faith, declaring faith in God, but also you'd feel built up in your faith by being here and worshipping with us. And there are a number of ways in which that can happen. One way, one way that happens is through the, the expression of what we call creedal faith. A creed is an expression of faith. Sometimes we say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed as we start our services. I believe in God the Father. Uh, it's a statement of faith. And the, the content of our songs, our worship songs, matters because faith grows when it has truth to feed upon. And so we do need to sing songs that teach us truth. And it's the songs which teach truth which really have staying power. Those are the ones which get sung not just for a few months or a couple of years, but for decades and sometimes even for centuries. Songs which embody truth. Think of a more recent but old song, which we still sing regularly in Christ alone. Written now 22 years ago. That song was released. How many hundreds of times have we sung that? Probably, and I, John Clark's got all the stats. He could tell us exactly how many times we've sung that song over the last 20 years. But it's gone around the world, that song. It's sung in thousands and thousands of churches all around the world and has nourished the truth, the, the faith of the saints. Why? Because it's got a, a tune which you can sing, that helps, but because it contains, it embodies amazing faith-building truth. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone is solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. How many hundreds of times have I sung those words, but they still nourish my soul because they are so true. They help build my faith. So we need to, there's a creedal element to this, that we need to, we need to worship in a way which does build our faith because it speaks truth to us about who God is and what he's done. We also, though, need to be able to express, express our faith, faith under pressure. Pressures do come, and we need faith so that we can treasure God's presence even in the midst of difficulties. So we can treasure God's presence even in the midst of difficulties, under pressure. Right here this morning, in this little congregation, 
There are those of you who are worried about your kids. And there are those of you who are worried about your parents. And there are those of you who are worried about your work. And there are those of you who are worried about your health. And there are those of you who are worried about your finances. And there are those of you who are worried about geopolitical events. There's all kinds of pressures. In this room, there are probably some who are experiencing real hardship, even tragedy. And so we need to find faith under pressure. And the content of our worship can help us in this. Another song which we sing often, sung multiple times over the years, Horatio Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, a song that he wrote having experienced financial ruin and the death of his four daughters in an accident at sea. It's worship which is born in adversity and it's an assertion of faith in God despite the bitterness of life. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Our, our worship needs to express the reality of this kind of faith, faith under pressure. This, this is the faith of the Psalms. So many of the Psalms express faith under pressure. This morning we read from a Psalm, and uh, we, 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 we did what we often do with the Psalms when we start. We, we read the, the good bit, the encouraging bit, <laughs> because when we're coming to worship, that's what you want to hear. But so often the Psalms actually then contain expressions of pressure, that life is hard, life is difficult, enemies are around, awful things are happening, but faith is expressed in and under the pressure. And as we gather together, as you come into this room, carrying all kinds of pressures, we need to treasure the presence of God by faith, expressed even in times of difficulty. But we also then need to know a faith that projects into the future. We need to look into the future of the promises of God, what he's going to do for us. There's an old chorus, which is so old, the worship band didn't even know it and can't find it on the system. I live, I live because he is risen. A song we used to sing. Just a simple chorus. I live, I live because he is risen. That is forward-looking faith. Why do I live? Because Christ is risen. That's an act that's happened, an act in the past. Christ is risen, but it's an act which makes us look forward. I live. I live in the hope of resurrection life because I know that he has been raised to new life. I, look, I live in the hope of the world being made new. Why? Because Christ is making all things new. Forward-looking faith is essential. And so to treasure God... We need to do that with faith. To treasure the presence of God, we need faith. If, if we're not worshipping with faith, all that we're doing is singing. And singing is good. There's quite all kinds of evidence now that singing is good. If you are suffering from poor health, physically or mentally, you will get experience a degree of healing by joining a choir. It will make you feel better, physically and emotionally, to join a choir and to sing. But you know the reason that really is the case? It's because God has given us humans the gift of song to express worship to him. And so when people sing, even when they're singing about something which has got nothing to do with God, there's still, some, there's still that, that part of us created in the image of God, which means that singing does something for our souls. 
But when we come before God who gave us song and sing about him in faith, well, now we're cooking. Now it's happening. Now we're doing what we're made to do. We're treasuring the presence of God with faith, declaring truth, building each other up in our faith as we express our faith in the one whose presence we treasure. And the last way in which I want to talk about us treasuring the presence of God is that we we need to treasure the presence of God with devotion. Treasure the presence of God with devotion. Acts 2.42, a foundational text for us, the description of the first church in Jerusalem. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted. As Christians, we need to be devoted to God and the things of God. And this is a devotion which isn't sentimental, but is solid. It's a, it's a devotion which can be, it's costly. Uh, today and last week, we're doing our gift days when you came in. Again, these are on your chairs when we, uh, Carlos will lead you a little bit later, but when we, take up our, when we come to communion, we're going to be giving our offerings for the gift day as well. There's a, what is that about? That's about devotion. It's actually an act of worship, coming to God and saying, Lord, I trust you with everything. I want to express my worship, my devotion to you in all things, even with my money and possession. You know, there was only one time that Jesus declared that a human action would be proclaimed in the whole world. Just one time that Jesus said, this will be proclaimed in the whole world. And that was in response to an act of devotion. Read it in the Gospel of John, read it in Matthew 26. When the woman comes to Jesus and pours expensive perfume on his feet. That was an act, an encounter of devoted intimacy. And Jesus said, this is going to be told of around the world. An act of devotion. And when we treasure the presence of God, it comes with this kind of devotion. This costly devotion. This world news telling devotion and so our worship times should not just be getting through a few songs not just singing whatever songs the worship team have decided this week that we're going to sing now when we when we gather together as we are now actually everything that we do needs to be seen through the prism, through the frame of worship. All that we're doing needs to be seen as worship. That in our interactions with other people, we want to do that in a sense worshipfully, recognizing who they are as people made in the image of God. Fellow saints, brothers and sisters in Christ. When we give our gifts, it's an act of devotion, it's an act of worship as we take communion. It needs to be worshipful. Preaching is an act of worship opening up the word of God, believing that Jesus is amongst us, walking amongst us as, as we speak of him. But there is something distinct about our worship when we offer our songs and prayers to God. When we do that, when we sing, when we pray, we are, we are offering devotion to him. Offering devotion to him. That, that means that we need to give sufficient time to worship. It's not something we simply race through. Now, because this morning I'm speaking at 5 in a moment, 
It means that you're going to have a fairly long time to respond. That's a time not just to rush through. It's time to respond in song and prayer with devotion, treasuring the presence of God with devotion. You're going to get, I'm going to go in a second, you're going to stand up and you are going to get to sing to God. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? Together, corporately, you're going to get to worship God. There's going to be health which comes into this room because of that. You're going to feel emotionally, mentally, probably even physically, certainly spiritually healthier because you're coming into the presence of God to worship Him. This is amazing. We need to come with devotion before Him. Sunday mornings, you've got some time now, but Sunday mornings always often can feel a little bit rushed because of all the things we have to do, kids' work and everything else. We've got a worship night tonight. That's an opportunity for us to have more lingering time in the presence of God, just to come with Him devotedly, to come with devotion, to treasure the presence of God amongst us. God is with us. We need to treasure His presence. Worshipping God with devotion pulls us into into the presence of God, pulls us into purity. Purity is one of our three mission-defining words. We are called to adventure. We're called to live out a life of faith, trusting God, believing Him. We're called to compassion, to make the love of Jesus known to all people. But we're also called to purity, to holiness, to live in a way which reflects the purity, the holiness of God. And, as, and, and, and purity flows out of devotion. As we treasure God's presence with devotion, we, we help one another grow in holiness as we worship. As we worship, we experience God's cleansing coming upon us, his healing of us. Devoted worship draws us into the purifying presence of God. Devoted worship is a place to thank Jesus for his once-for-all sacrifice that has dealt with our sins. Devoted worship is a place to open our hearts before God and recognize where we have sinned this week and ask him again to wash our feet and for us to know his cleansing again. Devoted worship is a place where we gaze upon the face of God, the one who is, lives in unapproachable light and somehow yet in his grace pours his presence into us, pulls us into his purity. We need to, we need to treasure the presence of God with devotion. With devotion, not with familiarity, not with arrogance. Treasure the presence of God. Jesus said that the Father is seeking worshippers. He's looking for them. And God is with us. Who is Jesus? Emmanuel. God with us. And what did Jesus promise us? I'll be with you, even to the end of the ages. Even now, even here, God is with us. And so, amongst us, Gateway Church, amongst us, let there be a liberty celebrating and faith-inspired and devoted treasuring 
of the Father who loves us, the Son who gave himself for us, and the Spirit who fills us. Lord God, thank you that you're here with us. I pray that we would treasure your presence amongst us. I pray that we would celebrate the liberty that is ours. I pray that we would express and build up our faith. And that we would be devoted in our treasuring of you. More, more precious than anything else, more precious than our most precious possession. May we be devoted to treasuring you. And ask, Lord, now that as, as this congregation comes back into worship, there would be a treasuring of the presence of God. I pray as truth is declared through the words that are said and sung, and as hearts are turned towards you, and as the bread and wine is taken, Lord God, let there be a real experienced sense of God's presence amongst us. Right for this evening, Lord, as we gather to worship again. Thank you that another opportunity to know the presence of God, to treasure the presence of God amongst us. I pray that we would be a people, this would be a church that is characterized by treasuring, celebrating, enjoying the wonderful presence of God amongst us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's come and treasure him.